Um, so as, as, as part of our Ephesians series, uh, we've asked Mark Melbrick uh, to come and join us, and he's spoken several times in the past, and I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. Uh, Mark has um, some special talents, and one of them is going into uh, places that even a big guy like me would be scared to go to, and reaching the lost and investing and discipling other pastors. So he's going to go to Uganda here real soon, and I'm sure he might bring that up some more. But I, I like if we could all just pray over him. That would be great. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for Mark and his commitment to your kingdom and to your glory. And I know you have gifted him. And as many times as he's been to Africa, um, it's still there's a sense of uneasiness, Lord, that truly a dependence upon you for protection, um, for safe flight, for safe travel, um, for his speaking and his tiredness and his health and his exposure. Lord, he has put himself out there for you and for your kingdom. And I, I ask that you lay a special blessing upon him and upon his family as uh, I know as, as the anxiousness as they await his return. And we give you honor and glory in your name. Amen. amen. All right, man. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing tonight? I almost said tonight, but that was last night. Uh, May the 4th, I had a perfect slide for last night. Star Wars Day, right? May the 4th be with you, right? But now we're on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. What happens tomorrow? I'm not sure. <laughs> but thank you all for coming this morning. I know there's lots of options out there, and uh, hopefully all that will happen afterwards. It's supposed to be 80 degrees this Friday. What do you think about that? Huh? Spring is finally here. Summer, it's on its way, and I'm leaving the country. What in the world? <laughs> That's okay. Well, as you know, you guys, we're, uh, we're in a series right now. We just started it last week. Pastor Ken kicked us off with the Made for More, studying the book of Ephesians. And we're going to go through that entire book in the weeks to come. If you remember, he taught on Ephesians chapter 1 last week. If you have yeah, the Bibles are coming here. If you need a Bible, we are definitely going to be going through it today, all of Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> but if you remember last week, we looked at discovering who we are in Christ and what has been made available to us in that relationship with Him. So we're going to continue that journey. We're going to look at who we were apart from Christ and the meaning of salvation for all of us. But before we do, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you that your mercies are truly new every morning. Thank you for the, just the beautiful um, mountains and everything that I saw on the way over here this morning from Snohomish. And I'm sure a lot of us uh, just got a glimpse, too, of your creation. And it was beautiful. And Lord, I thank you so much also for your word it's living and active, even right now, today, in this moment. Thank you that it is truly a two-edged sword as well. And I pray, God, that you, as the great physician, would um, work in our hearts today. That you would mold us and shape us. That you would cut away anything, any blindness, any, any disease, anything that just doesn't belong there, God. That your word would, would uh, wash over it and purify it. Jesus, we're so excited to see 
what you have to say to us through Ephesians chapter 2. I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember last week, Pastor Ken shared that story with us about Hetty Green. She lived at the beginning of the 20th century. She was uh, the most miserly person that ever lived. I like to say cheap, okay? She had assets worth over $200 million back then, which is billions of dollars today, right? Today's currency. So, and yet she was so cheap that she ate cold oatmeal because she didn't want to pay to have it heated. And if you remember also, she had a son who broke his leg. She spent so much time looking for a free clinic that they ended up having to amputate her son's leg. She had so much money, and yet she lived like she had nothing. Can you imagine if she had invested that, even in hospitals or overseas missions or schools or something? There'd be a legacy to show for it. But she lived like she had nothing. Ephesians chapter 1 says that our Heavenly Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So why do many of us live like we have nothing? You know, I think the answer is simple. Many of us go through our lives as Christians and we just don't, we don't know what we've been given. Who we truly are in Christ, our identity in Christ. We really don't know and understand and live out his word in our lives. It reminds me also of a story um, my friend Lyle tells me. He and I have worked together in Africa a number of occasions, uh, especially with the Maasai that live in um, Kenya and Tanzania. And he had a chance to go to Israel last year. How many of you have been to Israel, the Holy Lands, or wanted to go? Many of you? Okay. So you'll relate a little bit to this story. So he decides he's going to take five Maasai men to, to Israel. So they get over there, and they're in Jerusalem, day one, and they're going to their hotel, where they're going to basically be for the whole week. They need two taxis, three and three, right? So Lyle and two Maasai, and all their luggage gets in one taxi, and then these three Maasai guys get in another taxi, and Lyle's like, okay, here's where we're going, and explains it to the taxi drivers. They're all like, okay, we got it. Boom, they're off. Well, the guy... The taxi driver with the three guys, the three Maasai, he gets lost. He doesn't know where he's going. So he drives around Jerusalem for a while and then decides to drop them off somewhere. Right? So you got three Maasai guys that have never been out of the country. They've never been in an airplane. Wives are, are still traded for cows. You, when you go to a, a church conference, your lunch and dinner is, uh, is uh, standing there against the back fence looking at you. Okay? It's a different world. Now they're in Jerusalem. Don't speak a lick of that language. They're lost. But they're looking for their friends. So day one, they sleep, well, night one, they sleep in a park. Okay, it probably felt exactly like home. Then uh, the second night, actually the second day, the chief tells his two companions, here he is right here, you guys go that direction, I'm going to go this direction, and we're going to find Lyle. They call Simba, right? We're going to find Simba. You can imagine, they're in Jerusalem. It's a huge city. They're on foot. You go that way, I'm going this way. 
Day two, evening comes. He's like, I think maybe we'll stay in a hotel this time. So he, he goes into the Mount Zion Hotel. He has no idea what it is. It's just right in front of him. He goes in, takes out all the money he had for the week, which was five $100 bills, lays them out on a the counter. They take three of them. <laughs> they give him a beautiful room. He's got a nice bed. I mean, accoutrements galore. It's a four-star hotel. He spends the night on the floor. Why? Because the bed's way too uncomfortable. He's used to sleeping on a mat like this at home, right? So he sleeps on the floor. They got a beautiful breakfast buffet ready for him in the morning. He has no idea. He doesn't speak the language, right? He walks out with nothing. Think about that. What he had. But see, he didn't know what he had. He didn't understand the significance of where he was or what he had at that time. Now, good news is the next day his, his cell phone rang. Somehow he got near a free Wi-Fi and, and WhatsApp showed up and Lyle was trying to get a hold of him. So the story ended on the third day. But imagine what he could have experienced in that hotel and yet he knew nothing. He knew nothing. I think sometimes we live that way. We're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 2 now. And we're actually going to split it up into two sections. So we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 10 and talk through that a little bit. And then we're going to read 11 through 22. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who were disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Take a pause. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if you have your bulletin, you like to take notes, uh, that first point there is the need for salvation. Verses 1 through 3. What we once were, my friends, is very clear there. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature 
objects of wrath. My friends, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody's exempt. All of humanity falls under that. All have sinned. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. So we've all sinned, and the wage of sin is death. We have no hope. Right? The movie Susan Sarandon, I think she started it, Dead Man Walking, if any of you saw that. The men in that movie were presently alive, right? But their steps could only take them to the death chamber. That man's fate was already decided. Nothing he could do about it. He was condemned as he walked. Dead man walking. You know, we're the same apart from Christ. Right? Dead in our sins. Completely unregenerated. Living apart from God. I have a question for you, though. Why, why is sin such a big deal? Right? And we all categorize, you know, those are really bad sins. And, well, that's, that's not too bad. That's just, a, you know, just minuscule. I'm going to show you an example of that, I think, that, that might work. Um, how many of you would like a orange juice. How many people don't like orange juice in the morning, right? How many of you would like a glass of orange juice right now? Anybody? Okay, here's some takers. Good. Yep. Oh, wait. Be before I give you that, um, I'm just going to modify it slightly. Got a glove here. <laughs> Probably wondering what's that all about. It's hypoallergenic, just so you know. Um, oh, yeah, this. So this is a picture, because you couldn't see what's in my hand right now. It's too small. That was taken on the farm, fresh. Uh, that's a little goat nose there on the left, wondering what in the world are you doing with my poop? You see, that's goat poop right there. But it's from a baby. It's just the tiniest little goat poop. And, well, I just have a little, a little bit right here that I'm going to put in the picture, right? Just, just one, right? Just a little <laughs> minuscule. You can't even hardly... Notice it. I mean, it's orange juice. You can't see it. And, I mean, it's, it's not a big deal, right? I'm not even going to stir it. Who, who'd like a glass now? Any? <laughs> People are crazy back here. <laughs> you ruined my whole analogy. No. <clears throat> Obviously, you guys, it's disgusting, right? It's been contaminated. There's actually uh, things in that right now that, that um, could harm you, right? That's why we're, most of us, <laughs> are not excited to, uh, to jump into that, right? It's impure. It's nasty. My friends, to God, our sin is the same way. It doesn't matter if there's a lot or a little. Just a little bit destroys the whole thing, right? Sin entered the world back in the garden, and all of creation was ruined, right, from the way he meant it. He cannot be in the presence of sin. It's also because he wants to protect us, right? He wants to protect us, and he wants to protect others. Why? Because sin is harmful. It may not kill you today, but over time, it can destroy our very lives. That's the problem with sin. 
Point number two, the motivation for salvation. This is where it gets awesome. This is verses four through six. What God has done. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. But God. But God, it says in Romans 5, 8. Different way of saying it, Paul. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, I'm so grateful for that. I'm going to unpack two words for you real quick. This word grace and mercy. Grace is, you know, not just the TV show if you watch that, Grace Under Fire. Or maybe grace, you say that at a meal at dinner time. No, this is different. This, is, this means unmerited favor. It's getting something you don't deserve. Okay? Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what you deserve. Having judgment or condemnation pass you by. That's the whole Passover idea. Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You guys, there's so many awesome things going on just in this tiny portion of the passage. You see, God's love has done three things. It's made us alive in Christ, has raised us up with Christ. We've been positionally resurrected with him. That's why the baptism is so cool. When someone comes up out of the water, they are a new person. They've been resurrected. They've been raised up. And he's also seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We've been positionally placed with him. We already have a place at the table. An eternal reser a reservation at his banquet table. Can you imagine? No need to convince the bouncer at the front door or the, the butler or the building security that you actually belong in there. No, it's already, you're already there. It's already set for you. They have your name. You guys, that's, that's an amazing thing. God has made a way for each and every one of us. Third point, the results of salvation. It's why he did it. Very simply put, my friends, Jesus died so we wouldn't have to. He didn't just die. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace, brought us peace, was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. My friends, that's, that's pretty profound, what he went through just in that passage alone that describes that. But think about Calvary. Think about Easter that we just got done celebrating. On Calvary, that, that fateful day, Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, laba samachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, God had to turn his back on Jesus. Why? Because he can't be in the presence of sin. And Jesus became sin on our behalf. Why did he endure all of this for our sake? Well, Ephesians 2.7 says, In order 
that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. He did this to show or display or to demonstrate to all of creation the incomparable riches of his grace. And this display of grace and forgiveness that we experience and love that we experience is so antithetical. It's so different than how all of creation experiences life apart from Christ. We were dead. We were hopeless. We were helpless. We were utterly lost, but by God's love through his grace and mercy expressed through his kindness in Christ Jesus, we were saved. Can I get an amen on that? Exactly. Amazing. We're going to go through uh, actually eight and nine, eight through ten. And this is uh, probably the, the most common, most well-known of the passage right here, these verses. And if you're taking notes, it's the method of salvation, verses eight through ten, how he did it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Again, I'm going to just uh, share two, two words for clarification. Saved. First word, saved. In Colossians 1.13, it gives us a better idea of this. For he has rescued us, it says from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. My friends, he takes our citizenship from the kingdom of darkness, and he puts us into the kingdom of light. We are citizens now of heaven. We have a place at the table with him. My friends, this never became clearer to me than when we adopted our son, TJ. He was four years old. We brought him home from Russia. We had filled out all the paperwork. We'd done everything we needed to. But it wasn't until his, sorry, our airplane hit the tarmac in Atlanta, Georgia. As soon as those wheels touched down, he became a citizen of the United States of America. All the rights and privileges, all the rights and privileges that you and I enjoy and maybe don't even understand became his. That's what happens to us. We go from the kingdom of darkness to God's kingdom. That's what he does here because he saved us. He's rescued us from that. Now, faith, that can be a little uh, ambiguous word as well. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So here's the all-important question, I think, for all of us. What is the object of your faith? What are you putting your faith in? You know, I, I was reminded of this song by, I think it was Wham. You know, you got to have faith, 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 right? Faith? Faith in what? Faith Hill? Faith in yourself? Faith in your fellow man? 
faith in your amazing works, faith in your, your talents, faith in your gifts, your resources, your, your stellar behavior. Like what? What's the object of your faith? My friends, the object of your faith has to be Jesus and his finished work on the cross that even makes it possible for us to be saved. That is who we, he is who we need to have our faith in. And remember this, this is not from yourselves, but a gift from God. Not by works, by our works, or by our good deeds. Why? Because Isaiah 64, 6 says, they are but filthy rags in God's presence. Our, our best deeds are but filthy rags in his presence. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. My friends, as believers, we are God's workmanship. And the Greek word for this is poema, which describes a work of art, a masterpiece. My friends, you are masterpieces in the hands of our Creator. And he's working and, and, and shaping you to walk in good works that God has already prepared. God is performing those works in and through you. And all you, all we have to do is walk with Jesus. And Paul defines and discusses kind of this path of, of good works through Ephesians 4, 6, and chapters 4 through 6. And we'll get to that, so stay tuned. Not today, <laughs> but in the weeks to come. Fifth, fifth point here, the purpose of salvation. This is verses 11 through 22, who we are now. So we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are God's workmanship, and this is where we get to read the next part of the chapter. You ready? Starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you were you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant, covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... Isn't that interesting how this parallels so much what we just heard? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in his, this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling 
in which God lives by his spirit. <laughs> Again, that is such a beautiful passage if we truly understand what's going on here. Paul starts this whole thing out with the word therefore. Everything from here is going to be predicated on what he was just talking about. You see, he's writing to the believers in Ephesus, and he's reminding them of their past as Gentiles and how physically, ethnically, and, and religiously they were far from God. And he's using the Jews as an example here. See, they were uncircumcised physically, right? That created huge social and, and spiritual boundaries apart from the Jews right there. Again, you have to be in that context to really understand what that meant. They were separate from Christ, Paul says, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise. They had no participation in the covenants or the blessings that came from that. They were without hope of a Messiah or a deliverer at that point, and they were without God in the world. They had no meaning, no hope, no greater purpose or direction in life. Does that sound familiar? Just as we once were. See, Paul begins Ephesians chapter 2 with that big picture, the big picture of humanity's condition, right? Then he moves to illustrate to the Ephesians what they were as Gentiles and what they were without Christ. Ephesians 2.13, but now in, in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's the promise. But Christ's sacrifice on the cross, by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, they have now been brought near to the Jews and to God. In Ephesians 2.14 through 16 says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. My friends, this is profound because God literally creates a new creation right here, a new humanity, one body called the Christian church. And in the church, it's interesting because Gentiles don't become Jews. Jews don't become Gentiles. Instead, as believers in Jesus Christ, they become Christians. And by reconciling them to one another and then to God, he destroys this dividing wall of hostility. Amen. Verses 17 and 18 says, Through his finished work on the cross, he brings peace between them, and they now have access to, to the Father by one Spirit. Profound. Last part of the chapter, we're going to finish it out here. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow members citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become the holy temple in the Lord. And, shouldn't have looked at the lights. <laughs> and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Right? Because we are the church, my friends. Each one of us, flesh and blood. As believers, we are members of God's household. With Christ as the cornerstone from which the whole building rises to become that holy temple, the church. And you too, each and every one of us, who has Jesus in our heart, are a dwelling place for the Most High God. Wow. Isn't that amazing? A dwelling place for the Most High God through His Spirit. There's so much to unpack here, but I'm just going to just leave us with a, with a practical application, okay? This isn't news to anyone here, but we live in a world right now and in a country right now and even in our churches that are very divided. We're divided by politics, by race, by socioeconomic status, and as John Hull who came and spoke during uh, our missions week not too long ago, we have our tribes, okay? Now I want each of us to consider, based on what we just heard and experienced, who do I have a wall of hostility toward in this congregation, dare I say, or in my family, or in my workplace, if you're both believers, this will apply. Reread this chapter, especially verses 13 through 22. That's, that's, I'm giving you a homework assignment. Okay, reread this, especially those chapters, 13 through 22. What does God say is now true of both of you? And as much as it's up to you, how will you choose to reconcile and dwell in peace? so that you can display his glory to all of creation and live out those good works that he has already ordained for each and every one of us. And to be reconciled in, in Christ, who, by the way, already died for that offense that you might still be holding on to. Christ already, it is finished. He died for that. I'm going to end with this, my friends. This is a, a story um, maybe many of you might be familiar with. Um, the way I've heard it is there was a couple, and I think they were on their honeymoon. They were down in Mexico going for a walk. It was a beautiful day, and the white sandy beaches just went on forever. And so they're just walking hand in hand, enjoying this, this beautiful paradise. And they start noticing these starfish on the beach. And the sun's beating down, it's low tide, and there's all these exposed starfish. And you guys, in the hot sun, some of them are beginning to, to die. They're even beginning to smell, right? And as they're walking along, they see this, this kid, like way in the distance, and he's crouched down and he keeps picking up these starfish and throwing them into the deep water. And, What's he doing? And they just keep walking, and pretty soon, here they are, right in front of this little boy. And he's down picking up starfish, and the, and the guy's like, 
How could you possibly make a difference here? There's starfish dying along this whole beach and hundreds of beaches beyond this. You can't possibly make a difference. Little boy just reaches down, picks up another starfish, looks up and smiles, tosses it in the water. Says, Made a difference to that one. And finds another one, picks it up, throws it in the water. Says, Made a difference to that one too. What does God do for our salvation? He literally takes us out of a destiny leading to death. A spiritual separation from God. And he puts us in his kingdom. He puts us on a new path toward an eternity with himself. Right? He is that deep, life-giving ocean for every dying helpless and hopeless starfish. Are you like that starfish right now? Now, if you already know Jesus, what are we called to do? Those of us that know Jesus, are we walking in those good works that he's already set us out to to be involved in? And dare I say, who are the starfish in your life? How can we continue to live at our calling and our purpose and be his hands and feet, as Pastor Ken said last week? We're called, my friends, to be salt and light on this planet. And can I tell you right now, it's desperately needed. Are you making people thirsty? How are you shining the light so that those in darkness can find the path and the way out from where they're living? Let us, as God's children, continue to identify and to learn to walk on that path of good works that God has already set out before us. Could we, in light of the scriptures, live that way? Because, my friends, if we do, we will change the world. I'm going to go ahead and pray right now, and I'm going to pray in two parts. First part, pray with me. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, if you've never taken that next step, pray with me this, this prayer, and then after we say amen, I'm going to, I'm going to just continue praying. The rest of us join, us, join us at that point, and we'll end this. Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I cannot save myself, that it's only by your great love and by your grace and your mercy and your kindness. But God, forgive me for my sins. Help me to be the kind of person you want me to be. I confess that to you right now. God, I believe that you are God, that you are the Son of God, Jesus, that you died on a cross for my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be, to live, to live in your family from now on. Amen. 
And Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you would help us to walk in those good works that you have already planned ahead. We just need to walk with you, Jesus. Help us to do that. Help us to mine your word, Lord, for what it is. Help us to take these nuggets that are truly more valuable than gold and hide them in our hearts. Help us to be salt and light in this world, God, and to to learn what that means. And help us to to tear down those walls of hostility because, God, it's so hard to shine your light and, and to live by your spirit and to show people love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control when we're living and throwing rocks. Jesus, we need you desperately today. And we love you. In your son's name.